Chapter 36 of A Battle for Right. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. A Battle for Right by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 36 Where They Found Him. Nick Carter jumped out of the car, leaving to Chick the congenial task of helping out Bessie Sylvia's and bolted into the house. Where is he? In the dining room, locked in with the others, reported Billings coolly. As soon as he came snooping up, I shoved him in with Loudon Powers and Lampton, and let them have it out between them. Then I came out to see who it was coming up the road in an automobile. It was you. The other guy came only just a little while ago. You mean the man you have in the dining room? Yes. He said he walked up from the station talking to another fellow who was with him, when suddenly he missed him. Who? The other guy he was talking to. Do you mean to say that he allowed a man to get away from him while they were actually talking and didn't see where he'd gone? That's what he told us. I don't believe it for one, put in Chick. Unless this mug in the dining room is Daffy, then it might have happened, suggested Patsy. Who is he, anyway? Nick did not stop to answer. Although he could have done it, he went over to Bessie Sylvius and asked her to wait in the drawing room with her father for a little time while he straightened out a little misunderstanding that had occurred. But Mr. Carter, is that Mr. Gordon in the dining room? I mean, the man they say came walking up the road with somebody else. Or was it he who suddenly left the other? I shall have to go into the dining room to see the man before I can answer that question. He directed Chick to stay in the drawing-room with Bessie and her father. It was a mission that Chick undertook with cheerfulness. Carter saw him leading Bessie and Roscoe Sylvius to the drawing-room with Chesterfieldian politeness, and did not trouble any further about him. Billings opened the door of the dining-room with a key he had in his pocket, and Nick went in. He saw just about what he expected. Loudon Powers and Andrew Lampton each had a cigar going, and between them still slumped down in his chair, as if he never had moved, was the individual who had been put forward as the real heir of the stupendous Millmarsh estate. Nick went to this man and shook him until he looked up vacantly. Where is he? demanded Nick. I don't know. I was bringing him here because you wanted him, but he wouldn't come the whole distance and it was no fault of mine. I guess he is somewhere about the grounds. Why didn't you search for him instead of coming up to the house? Because I believe he'd come here. It is what anybody would have believed. But as soon as I came up to the porch, some of these fellows of yours saw me and dragged me into this room. The speaker was not exactly stupid. He seemed to be rather dazed by a rapid surge of events. That was the way Nick regarded him, and doubtless he was right. He bent over and whispered in the man's ear. The result was a brightening up and a much firmer tone of voice, as he said aloud, Of course, I'll go with you, and I reckon I can find him too. But you will have to keep these two men off me, pointing to Powers and Lampton. They feel that things are slipping away from them, and they will kill me if they have a chance. That is quite probable muttered the detective inaudibly. 
he led the cowed man out of the room and saw that Patsy followed. He turned to his young assistant and told him not to let anybody out of the house till they returned. Once in the open air, Nick's companion seemed to become a different man. His step was springy, and when they came to a fence separating them from a part of the ground that was full of high grass and tangled shrubbery, he vaulted over it as lightly and cleanly as Nick himself. His voice was almost firm as he said, I saw him looking over here as we came up the road, and once I heard him mutter something about the West Meadow. He seemed to know that part of the estate, although I did not hear him say anything else. The West Meadow, repeated Nick. Yes, I think I know where that is. They walked for some little distance through the bushes and grass, until the detective stopped and pointed to what was evidently a recent trail. See, somebody has walked through this high grass and made a deep, wide furrow. We shan't have much trouble in finding him now, I think. Perhaps Nick was surprised to find that the trail ended at the stone foundation wall of the house at the back, where the cover of the tunnel that used to be part of the underground railway was made to look like the surrounding stones. The tunnel has already been described. Get in there, commanded Carter. The man was not inclined to obey. He seemed to fear it meant getting him at a disadvantage, perhaps locking him up in some dungeon from which he might never emerge, save to go into a regular prison. But Nick was not in the mood to be held back by anybody, least of all by one whom he felt had no right to consideration. So the man went down the chute, just as Chick had, not so long before, and the detective followed him. There is no necessity to tell bit by bit how they went along the secret corridor, which finally brought them to the back of the large picture in the dining room, where Nick and his assistant had listened to the conversation of the conspirators, one of whom was now actually in the corridor himself. Suddenly, a man sprang out of the blackness and seized Nick by the throat, forcing him backward and almost to his knees. It was only for an instant that the detective was held at a disadvantage. He hurled his assailant away, and bringing out his pocket flash, saw the man who had come with him lying on the floor in the narrow space. While facing him, with wild, vengeful eyes, was the sick man from the Universal Hospital. It was evident that the escaped patient did not recognize either Nick or the other man, and equally certain that he regarded them both as enemies. Even as the detective watched, he could see the long fingers, lean and claw-like from long illness, twitching to get at his throat, while the madman's feet shuffled slightly, as if preparing for a sudden spring. Nick took the initiative, telling the man on the floor to get up and lend a hand. He threw one arm around the strange creature, who had found his way in some mysterious way to this secret corridor, and seized his wrist from behind. By this wrestling trick, the detective had both the hands of his captive firmly held. Hold him for a moment, he commanded the other man, who had arisen by this time. Poor fellow, he's too weak to resist much. Had you any notion where he was? How could I have, was the rejoinder, in an injured tone. I never was in this hole before. Where are we anyway? I'll show you, replied Nick. 
He felt along the wall until his linger touched a small knob. The next moment a panel turned open silently, and they were looking through a doorway some four feet wide, down into the dining room, where sat the men they had left there half an hour before. A shriek of horror burst from Andrew Lambton, but Loudon Powers only smiled derisively. He had an iron nerve, and nothing could surprise him very much. He had always known there were secret passages about this strange old house, although he never had found them for himself. The appearance of the two ghostly personages in the bedchamber on that night had confirmed what he had heard about the hidden places in the house. So it did not seem so very extraordinary that Nick Carter should suddenly show himself in the wall by two of the large pictures. At first only Nick was visible to the people in the dining room, but as he stepped forth upon a chair and thus to the door, he led the escaped sick man from the hospital while following him was the person the two conspirators had declared to be Howard Millmarsh. "'What, chief?' shouted Patsy Garvin in delight. "'Did you get him?' "'By hooky!' roared Bonesy Billings. "'There's two of them. They look just alike. Now I know how you told the truth, Mr. Carter, while it looked like—like the other thing.' The detective only nodded as he put a large chair for the pale-faced invalid and forced him into it gently. The belligerents had gone from the face of the newcomer. He seemed to be wondering. That was all. The only peculiar thing in the whole affair was that the man who had been set forth as the real owner of the Millmarsh estate, and who had appeared so dazed and in such terror of Powers and Lambton, now held up his head and actually smiled as if a great weight had been lifted from his shoulders. Loudon Powers scowled at him, but he replied only by a stare of defiance. "'That mug is going to give the whole snap away,' muttered Andrew Lambton, in the ear of his fellow conspirator. "'I'll kill him if he does,' whispered back Loudon Powers. End of chapter 36 Recording by John Brandon